You don't have to ask me twice. Uh, at times, you don't even have to ask me. Every single individual has a story to tell, and they're great stories that need to be heard. I want every listener to know they have the ability to change the world. Welcome to the 1720 Podcast. All right, welcome back to another episode of the 1720 Podcast. Today, it's just me and Kevin. Sorry for the listeners. <laughs> uh, but I think we got something good we're going to talk about this, uh, this afternoon. The, the, uh, the short story is how did we get here? And the longer story is what are the challenges of doing it? And so I'd like to just really kick us off with Kevin. Just start us off talking about what I, what I like to sometimes call just an ascension to leadership. Um, you have a spot at your office of influence uh, and leadership. But oftentimes the path to get from A to B is interesting. And so let's talk about that. Let's talk about that for two purposes. One, just because I think it's interesting to give context to your story for now, for listeners and forever. But let's talk about it for purposes of those people who are listening who say, I'm in a spot. I'm wedged in a, in a corner. I want to get out of this. How do you, how do I get from point A to point B to take over, take ownership or take leadership at my company? And so let's just start with you. Let's start at kind of wherever you want to jump in. Uh, educationally, maybe first time you jumped into the workforce. And let's talk about that story from then to now. How'd we get there? Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. So if you go back into graduation, uh, graduating from college, um, just grinding out applications, trying to find that first job and being from Chicago, there's a, the union trades, uh, were always an option. I've been around construction my whole life and, the first job that I signed up into my career, it was extremely low paying. And I look into reflection and think, man, I hope I didn't waste my time in these four years uh, going to college where by now I could be a union journeyman as a glazer, a pipe fitter, you name it, making yeah, yeah. six figures. And and that's what a lot of my friends were doing. Um, so I just put my head down and just grinded hard no matter what position I was doing. Um, worked extremely hard, just kind of saw beyond where I was and just noted where I wanted to be. So a lot of what got me there is work ethic. Um, just, just putting in the work, no matter who's watching or listening, you don't have to ask me twice. Uh, at times you don't even have to ask me, um, just self-motivated in that right. Um, well, that's it. Let's stop. Let's linger on that for just a minute because I think a lot of people, um, wonder what they can do in their current space where I am right now to begin to take the next step, whatever that next step is. It may be just, uh, one, one rung up the ladder. You may be at the top of the ladder trying to reach to a next ladder, whatever, whatever the analogy is there. But you said something really interesting, which was you never have to ask me twice. And sometimes you never have to ask. Right. Let's, let's, let's pin that and take it out a little further. Like, how does that manifest itself? How do you go about finding things to do or not having to be asked? What, what's that look like for you? I would say it starts with just watching my dad growing up, such a hard worker, um, always, always working in his craft and, uh, doing side jobs and just how he interacted with people. You know, it, I modeled his, uh, work ethic into mine when, when I entered the workforce it was just mental, mental conversations with myself. Like if I don't want to do it, I just 
kind of the two shoulders thing, the other side saying, well, go do it. Um, you know, it's a job for a reason and just pushing yourself to, to do that. The whole, you know, what do you do? The integrity piece of what do you do when nobody's watching? You know, I, yeah, I always yeah. mentally challenged myself with that to make sure that maybe not always did the right thing, but I always was moving forward. Yeah. How do you go about identifying areas? Well, let me take two steps backwards. This notion that you, sometimes you don't have to ask me at all. To me, that means taking initiative, finding spaces to work or grow, doing things before they need to be done, identifying gaps that need to be closed, stuff like that. Is that similar to what you're thinking when you say sometimes you don't even have to ask me at all? Correct. Just knowing that there's always something to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I just When I would see people around me just twiddling their thumbs because I don't think social media was rampant when I came into the workforce, but just doing nothing was an option for me. It made me uncomfortable. Um, it just made time drag on. So there was a lot more ambition. I got, you could call it selfish ambition when I came into the workforce. Like I want to do this because I want to achieve this. Um, and, and that became a motivator and it's the motto of you create your own luck. You just, you show up into situations where like, we want to take the next step with you. Um, and they see that through, you know, the hard work and positive attitude, just some of those uh, soft skills that really have helped me along my career. Yeah, I can remember a job I had. This would have been 1990, let's call it plus or minus 95. I was a junior in high school working summers at um, an elevator company, Allied Elevator of Beaumont. That's where I was working. And really, it was just a family favor. They give me something to do for the summer. I think if all things considered, we were being honest, low paying job, but I was well paid for a 17 year old. And I can remember working in the shop. Like my job was to just do whatever needed to be done in the shop. I never welded. I never done any, I never chopped metal. I never, but you know, day after day, I sit there watching the guy work and we're, we get finished and nobody got to tell me to sweep up. Like we're just going to clean the shop up and I get this and I sweep up and. Next thing you know, they're like, hey, he's paying attention to what's going on, showing some initiative. Go build this thing. And I go build it. And I do it till it's right. And fast forward that summer. By the end of the summer, I was in the office answering phones and and working on their accounting. And it went quickly. But I think it's a derivative of this kind of notion that nobody had to ask me to sweep up the shop. Right. It's all started there. Because another similarly situated 17-year-old could have finished watching and gone outside and again, not no social media, but you know, to translate to 2020 gone outside and got on Twitter and done whatever. And maybe because I didn't have it, maybe the Twitter that is, or, or maybe just because I didn't want to be in the shop. I, I got a friend named Chris who's his dad always told him an inside job is better than an outside job. Absolutely. <laughs> and so I was Texas like, heat. Yeah. Texas heat. And so I was like, I want to go sit in the office. That's better. Yeah. So I swept up and I helped. And when someone asked me to do it, I did it. And, I did it as well as I could. And if I had a question, I asked a question. And then, like I said, fast forward just four, six, seven, eight weeks of the summer, I was out of the shop and working in the office again, you know, work. So, well, and to that point, uh, I, I was in the field as well doing carpentry, building houses. And it's very easy to show progress when you're in the field that you're busting your tail. Mm-hmm, like you right. they see you hustling, the studs are going up, the walls are going up, uh, the floor is swept, it's clean. And then that, that's that first transition, uh, let's call it promotion or progression in your career. You get an office job. You're like, well, what does that look like? Yeah. Shuffling paper from left to right. That, that might seem like progress, but it's probably not. So like, how do you show progress? How do you 
chalk up wins when it's not as visible. Yeah, that's a good point. We, we, we'll hit that, I'm sure, a million times because in my job professionally at this juncture as a lawyer, um, it's all just emails. Like how do you show progress with a bunch of emails and pleadings that are saved on a computer and you get to the end and what do you have to show for the labor of your day is like physically nothing. Right. I've written down my time and I've worked on the computer for eight hours and yeah, that's about it. But being outside, I mean, I guess to come full circle, some of the ways I release all that, like pent up, I need to do something energies on the weekend is to go build something outside. Cause at the end of the day, I'm like, I did that. Right. I did that. Well, and let's, so let's talk, uh, sort of back, you know, we had pinned that notion of, you know, some t- never asked me twice and sometimes never once. Let's, you know, close that and come back to full circle how you're headed up the headed up the chain here to, to leadership where it, where it, at what point did, did that start to take off? Sure. So I'll kind of elaborate on the transition from middle management to upper management. Um, and in any one of these transitions throughout my career, there becomes a level of unknown. You're stepping into the unknown. Um, your direct report or your new company understands that. Um, but they want to see what you're made of. Yeah. Um, Sometimes it's a sink or swim mentality. Sometimes you have uh, some great coaching, you know, and everything in between. For me personally, my middle management position was director of sales. So in charge of sales and estimating for our company. And it was exciting. It was great relationship building. It always challenged me because there's always new goals. Um, But what it was missing was once we sold a job and kicked it off to ops, it was out of my hands. Right. Um, and so being, being taking a lot of pride in, in my craft, you know, it, it, it meant a lot that we performed well. Um, and so post sales execution was really outside of my control. And I would see times where we'd fumble the ball a little bit and it's like, man, I want to jump in there and just, and just get it done. Yeah. So I was offered an opportunity to come on board for dynamic glass. And it was a transition from the sales and estimating side to overall operations. Now you have to be in charge of the sales, the project management, the shop manufacturing, the field operations. It's the whole kit. And you get that anxiety of in that transition of there's a lot of unknown here. I've I've sort of mastered the craft of sales and estimating, but now this is all divisions. This is P&L. This is is the big leagues. Yeah. Um, And – you just jump into the opportunity. If, if the culture's right and your vision's right, your vision for a culture's right, um, and belief in yourself, uh, you jump in. So that's, that's really where, uh, I started to take this next level of leadership was jumping from just sales and estimating. And I want to discount that because that's a, a no, yeah, it, yeah. it's a tough task, but then into overall operations. There's a, um, it, uh, this, well, let me, let me say that differently. There's probably over the course of those months, let's just say, but transitioning into that upward out of middle management situation where you think back and think that was, I did that right, crushed it. I was in the right place at the right time. I had the right conversation, whatever. And there's probably some things in there you think, man, if I had a do over on that, I'd do that over. Tell us some of those stories, pros, cons, wins, losses. Just here's my experience through that. Yeah, the not having my hands as closely into all the buckets as they were. Um, we were starting an office. We we're new to the market in DFW. So I felt like 
I had to be on sales. I had to be on estimating, uh, field operations, shop fabrication. I had to be in the shop. I had to be in the field. Um, you know, where there, I was, once I started surrounding myself with people that were better experts in each one of those divisions, that's where we started to soar. But it's a give and take. You have to jump in as an entrepreneur into all the divisions um, and not be too proud to do anything from, you know, you have that reversal where at my current role, I'm not afraid to get dirty and set some glass or go out on a water test like I was out on this morning and actually be doing the work um, and showing, you know, pushing a broom, whatever it takes. Yeah, right. But when you get to some sort of financial stability within your division, if you're given a division or if you're given a company, you got to surround yourself with people that are better experts or experts in a field that can take a division that can take a silo that you can depend on. Yeah. Right. Having folks that you can to trust. That's a, a component of, of the, le- the, the leadership component post uh, be, being in that role, right? Having folks, and whether you, you you can trust them, you can lean on them, or training them to trust them, and training them to be able to lean on them, um, def, definitely important components of effectively leading teams. I forget what I think it's Jocko that talks about Willink. Willink, how do you say his last name? Willink. Willink talks about how the seals divisions of labor essentially you can only effectively lead like five people mm-hmm. something like this decentralized command decentralized command yes this is it and um man that blows my mind to think that folks who manage enormous corporations i think of them as having their hands in everything but the fact of the matter is they've probably decentralized their command as well for efficiency purposes and are only managing or leading five people which means all those people are managing you know and it, as it trickles down and that's a lot of trust and that's a lot of a lot of relinquishing the controls, uh, which I think, I mean, kind of to my story is a bit of my, one of my hangups or hiccups or hurdles in leadership is I want to hold on to everything. I have, I, I grew up the way I sort of part of my ascension to leadership, if you will, is owning everything because if I want it done right, right, what comes next? Do it yourself. That's right. And I, I did that for years. If, if it would, no matter what it was, I grabbed it, I clenched it, I held it tightly, and I crushed it. That's a fun, and not like crushed it with my hands. I did. Hulk smash. Hulk smash. No, no, no. Like I just, I did it with excellence. And you can't manage people like that. You can't manage organizations like that. You, at some point, you have to let that grip go and let someone else do what you were doing. Let someone else own it and pull it in tight and know that it has to be done right. Well, and on that point, in, when I was in middle management, I would get frustrated at times for performance of colleagues, performance of uh, people that direct reported to me. And at that time, my boss sat me down and he said, look, Kev, not everybody's going to be a plus player. You can't expect the same level that you're doing from everybody else. And I think that helped rolling into this next position that everybody's going to have a different skill set. Everybody's going to have different strengths and weaknesses. And it's my responsibility to play situational leadership to whatever your strengths and weaknesses are. It's it's like coaching, right? Like I know this is going to sound a little hokey, but um, coaches, good, great coaches know that everyone on the, the team, whatever it is, has a role. Right. And they need to excel in that role. They need to be motivated in that role. But similarly, everyone gets motivated differently. And that used to make me crazy. I, I played basketball coming up and I got yelled at a lot <laughs> because when you yell at me, like when I would get yelled at, I would go from a seven to an 11. And my coach knew that that was the way 
to get me going, to yell at me. I got yelled at all the time. Um, but other people, shocker, when they get yelled at, they shut down. And that similar thought you know, sort of translates into what you do every day at work, which is some people need an attaboy, and they will run through a wall for you with an attaboy. That's right. Yeah. It, I'm proud of you. Yeah. Uh, oh, just words. Thank you. You know, you, yeah. When somebody says that to you and I use them, I use them often and it's part of the culture that we're building. So to kind of go into a, the pros versus cons, a pro when going into division leadership, overall company leadership, I had this blank canvas where it's like learning from what I've seen that goes really well and what is lacking. So went on a mission to create a people-first culture where the team loves what they do and executes at the highest level. That was our vision. That's what's on our board, and that's what we're going to strive for every day. And how you strive for it every day is through action. So I would show this to our team, empower them, uh, show how important they are, uh, empower the, our field teams and our shop teams that to show them that without you, we're nothing in the yeah, office. Yeah, yeah. And then to slowly watch that really come to life where we were, we're a company of divisions that become divisionless. It's been, it's been really exciting to see. That's a good point. I mean, I know there, everyone's going to have a different takeaway over our conversations and guests as they chat through the things we're chatting about, but that's a great takeaway and a great sort of reflective moment for people who are listening to say, look, are you empowering your team? Do people think that they can't do it, with, that your company can't exist without them? Are you all blending together? Are you rowing the same boat? Uh, and, and just think about it because just sitting across the table chatting with you here, I, I can think of teammates who are on my team at work who probably don't feel like that, who need an, another attaboy, who need a how can I help you, who need a what's your biggest struggle at work right now and how can I solve it for you? Right? Yeah. They feel like they're on an island. And the boat's rowing past them. There's, and and there's, that's destructive. Absolutely. There's simple notions that you can make, simple actions that move mountains, really. Yeah, yeah. Is, uh, we set up in the field with our field team employee of the month. And it's just a, a plaque with their name on it, the month, the year, and you know a gift card to Home Depot. And the first one – I want to be your employee of the month. Come on. <laughs> I bet you would take it. Uh but it was exciting. You know, I think a lot of the times we focus that stuff on the office, but uh, for manufacturing or shop team and our field team, we need to recognize them because, again, without them, we're nothing. Can't get it done. And I remember the first one we gave out into the field. I went and I presented it, and I handed them the plaque, and I handed them the gift card, and I, I explained, this is why you got this. Mm -hmm. um, our core values are people, passion, and execution, and you have displayed all three, so I'm excited to give you this. And I figured that would be that. He walked away because he started crying. Oof. And it was it was a touching moment. It was an exciting moment. But it was also a sad moment of knowing that in 20 years of this guy's upbringing in, in our craft, he's never received an attaboy. And this mm. was his first one. Yeah. And it's like, man, we got a long way to go in construction. But, but they're that, all opportunities. That was just about to say that. Like, it is just an opportunity. And even as we sort of wrestle, man, I could just ping pong through all these issues. The thought I was having right now is that even as we're wrestling through this COVID crisis, and people are down, man, and people are wondering what it all looks like, um, if you can wake up and think about what the opportunities are presented through it, they are enormous. There's enormous opportunities to care for people and listen to what people have to say and and just pour into their lives in a way that – strengthens you, you and them and your relationships and your company 
on the backside of this whenever it is. Do you have any examples of you doing that through this? Because I, I believe you do. Sure. I mean, look, we've all bunkered down, right? And we've all gone to our respective corners because unlike you guys in the construction industry where you have to physically be present to win, so to speak, uh, we didn't have to. We could, as, as lawyers, we could work from home and we've, we've done that. Um, and, uh, in fact, coming here to record with you, I left my, my home office with my kids, uh, at the, uh, shirtless amusement and water park in the backyard <laughs> and came over. Uh, and so, yeah, it's been working from home for now 55 days, wow. work days. Um, but for sure there are wins in this and for sure there are losses through it. Um, this transitions this to a slightly different topic, but I'll stop down on it because I think it's interesting. Um, and it, the, the wins are, I can remember one specific call where we've had every Tuesday, we have what we call timekeeper calls where just everyone in the office gets on. We use Microsoft teams, but it's sort of like Kleenex that we call them zoom calls. You know, it's just ubiquitous. And so we had our zoom call, got on and we have timekeeper. How, how are you? Are you busy? What are you working on? What does next week look like? Just really managing workflow, right? Making sure everybody's working. And I hung up, we hung up on the call and I sent an email out to all the people who I work with at the office and said, Hey, I'd like to talk about a few things. Can we get on the call at like three o'clock? Get on a call. Everybody shows up from wherever they are. And I said, I don't care what you're doing. I care. What I want to talk about today is how are you doing? And we like everyone was a little taken back by it, right? Because the tenor has been had been for a while: work, 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 work. What are you working on? How are you working on it? What are you working on? Who's working? You know. And when I said I don't care about what you're doing, I want to talk about how you're doing. Everyone was like, "Oof, guard down, tensions guard down, drop. tensions drop." And we all talked for 20, 30, 40 minutes just about how they're doing. Some people, you know, you get lonely. Some people, you get my technology sucks. Some people, you know what I mean. Um, and you know, just point of emphasis, I could do a better job of following up with people sometimes, but for the most part, if you expressed a, a problem on that call on the, how are you doing that I could fix? I fixed it. If you had a problem because you felt like you're on an Island, I'd touch base with you. If you had a problem because you felt like your computer wasn't working from home, we fixed it. Um, in a way that I hope demonstrated to people that they don't work at a, giant business. They work at a place that cares about them. Well, I think that's awesome. And not to put you on the spot, but what's your why behind that? Why did you do that? Because I have a vision corporately of a team that everybody pulls together. Everybody pulls in the same direction. And I think that's typically what it's like working with me. You have to ask somebody else, but that's, you know, and, and I want people to know that when you need something, I got it. And when I need something, you got it. Not in a self-serving way, but in a way that like this boat has to be rowed and we're all working together. And I want people to feel that, that like I got you, uh, when you're down and I'm going to prop you when you're up. Uh, and that when you have a question, you can come ask me about it and all that sort, sort of collegial training, uh, and, and, and mentoring young people. Younger folks, right? They're not all younger. All the people I reached out to, some are older, some are younger. Um, but I want them to know that I got you. Yeah. Like, you know, that sort of thing. And I know that sort of sounds colloquial, like real, maybe even trite, like commonplace. It doesn't mean anything. But when you're in that scenario, when you're in that situation and you know it, that, that if you got a problem, I will help you. When the rubber meets the road, you're walking the talk. That's right. Which That's is right. a rarity. That's right. And I got friends at work. But, you know, I commonly say along that vein, which is 
there are some people in my life that I could be on the other, I could be on the other side of Dallas with a flat tire in the pouring rain and call them and be like, dude, I need help. And they would leave their family dinner and say, I got to go help. Mm -hmm. And I want people at the office to know I would do that for them. Right. Call me, whatever it is. I got you. Stuart's putting on a leadership clinic here. <laughs> no, it's not. It's not. And, and you know, it kind of goes back to the, to the way you got started talking about your sort of ascension to leadership, which is the, the, the phrase I've been coining here for a minute, um, is it's just how I was raised. You know, I can remember uh, my grandfather doing things like this. We lived, It's a long story for another day, but we lived with my grandparents for a few years. Uh, and I remember just paying attention to the way he, he acted and he talked to people and he helped people. And he cared and he knew everybody's name wherever, everywhere he went. I granted he lived in a small town, but he knew everybody's name. He knew what they liked. He brought them peach cobbler when they need, you know, just shared their beans with them, all this sort of stuff, you know, and, uh, it's, it's a small town mentality a little bit, but, um, it's important because when my papa came around, people knew they were, he was going to take care of them. He was going to help them. Right. Uh, and my, my mom and dad do that. My mom and dad have always cared for people in a very, very loving way. Um, that's just kind of how I was raised. And so I know that's not how everyone is raised. And I know this idea of just sacrificially helping folks is a little foreign to people. Mm -hmm. But I think once you find yourself in that paradigm, either as a leader giving or under the mentorship of a leader like that, you realize that's a game changer. That's yeah. a game changer. And that's the evolution of my career personally is I mentioned earlier, coming out of college into my career, I was doing it for me. And now in my position, I'm doing it for everybody else. That's my leadership. Yeah. I, I want you to succeed because if this team's successful, I'm successful. I don't need to, you know, pound my chest and show what I'm doing. I want to show what the team's doing, which should translate into the bottom line at the end of the yeah, year. Right. I've said a ton of times, I don't need or want credit for any of this. I want it to go to you. I want you to have the win. I want you to like feel the taste of all of it. Because my goal is to make you, generically speaking, better than I ever could be. Right. That's my goal. You be better than me I ever could be. Kind of like fatherhood. It is a little bit. It is a little bit. Because my desire for my kids is to be better than I ever could be. Yeah. And I want to teach them from the things that I did well. And I want to teach them from the things I did poorly so that they don't have to learn it the hard way. And they step off a different platform. You know, I have some long lists on both sides, both columns. <laughs> yeah, pin them. Yeah. Let's, and we won't talk about all the bad stuff. We'll, we'll only talk about all the good stuff for there. Well, hey, that's, uh, we've been going for 26, 27 minutes. Our goal is to give you guys about 20 to 25 minutes of nuggets just to take on your way to work. And so let's wrap there. We'll pin some stuff to talk about next time. We didn't make it through all of our topics or all of our talking points, but we'll hit some, we'll hit some other ones over the course of the next few episodes to wrap these all up. Um, but as you guys know from our initial jump into this thing, Kevin does an email every day, daily motivation. So, so, thinking maybe we wrap today by just kicking it to Kevin and say, hey, were there any from this week that really jumped out with you? Anything to share with our listeners from, from the DMs of the week? Yeah, I'd say our jump out quote was clear, concise, simple, but you know, really resonated with me. And it was track your small wins to motivate big accomplishments. So we don't have to overthink this in leadership. If you're jumping into that next level, uh, if you're looking into a promotion or looking into uh, another company or whatever that next step you're taking, just try to chalk up some small wins because um, those small wins can turn into big wins if you stack up enough of them. Well, and there's a sort of uh, 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 idiom that goes along with that is if you can't measure it, you can't improve it. So tracking it, track the wins, record, like record them, write them down 
And just remember that a baby step forward is a win and get another one tomorrow. Absolutely. All right. Awesome. Thanks for tuning in. We will catch you guys next time on the 1720 podcast.